Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Catholics with Bibles, the podcast dedicated to empowering Catholics to read, interpret, and pray with sacred scripture with the eyes of faith and reason. I'm your host, Chase Krauss. Let's dive in. Hey, what is up, everybody? What is good? What is cracking? My name is Chase Krauss. Welcome to Catholics with Bibles. Very excited about today. Today, we're going to be diving into kind of taking a backseat into uh, diving into scripture per se, even though we're going to get eventually back to that. But we're going to start talking about uh, different theological elements. Again, we're going to talk about different ideas, different things we have to keep in mind as Catholics when we approach scripture. This is really important because you study scripture always through a lens, right? It doesn't really matter how objective you think you are. Um, everybody brings certain preconceived notions or ideas, um, or the technical word is a hermeneutic. So a hermeneutic comes from the Greek word, uh, word Hermes, which is the Greek God who is the messenger God. So a hermeneutic is, is a lens that you see things through or read things through in this case. And we all have different hermeneutics that we read life through, that we read scripture through, that we, you know, these preconceived prejudices or ideas, uh, or constructs or whatever it might be. And so really the point of what we're trying to do here on Catholics with Bibles is to make sure we have an authentically Catholic hermeneutic, have an authentically Catholic view of scripture. That being said, there are different interpretive options for a lot of different passages. We've talked about this before on the podcast. Uh, you know, there's tons of different uh, and saints and interpretive options and theologians who, who disagree with each other of the same text for example song of songs right song of solomon you know there's some saints who thinks you know say, say saint john of the cross he thinks that it's an allegory between god and the soul and it very well could be um but then you have saint john paul ii learning from uh saint john of the cross but his thing he, he read it more of from the theology of the body it's you know more of a love poem between man and woman and and also god as well uh, but then you have other saints who um, just totally disagree with those two perspectives, and they think that it, you know it's more of um, Christ and the Church or the Holy Spirit and Mary. Uh, there's some theologians who aren't necessarily Catholic, but think it's literally just a collection of Egyptian love poetry that got kind of merged into one book. Um, <laughs> and so we we have to understand as Catholics that you know where are the boundaries, right? Where where is this orthodox and where is this heterodox? Where is this not orthodox teaching from the Church? Because the church, a lot of the times, doesn't definitively define and interpret scripture. And so a lot of the times, uh, scripture can be interpreted uh, for private revelation or personal uh, opinion to a certain degree, right? To a certain degree. And so before we dive in to the topic for today, which is revelation, what that means, what it means for Catholics, what do we understand by that word? We have to talk about you know, our Greek word of the day. So Greek word of the day is koinomia. Koinomia. Uh, you, you hear the word economy here. Um, and it really can be interpreted as plan, the divine plan. Um, koinomia, so the word communion kind of comes from that. Eucharistesas is the actual Greek word for uh, communion or Eucharist, uh, Thanksgiving. So these two words are really, really closely related um, insofar as what, what we kind of mean by them. And so a koinomia, divine plan, right? So the divine plan of, of God, um, of what what that means, what what that means for us, what was God's plan insofar as revelation, right? So revelation is literally what everything is about, right? So revelation, uh, you know, we read in first, or sorry, in Ephesians 1, 9, 
Let me read this. For he has made known to us in all wisdom and insight the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan, a koinomia, for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So for St. Paul, what's what's the plan? What's the overall goal? For God, it's to unite everything in Christ, heaven and earth. And, and we see that in an analogous way in, in, in Christ himself, a divine person with a human nature, human and divine, earth and heaven uniting in the person of the word and the person of, the, of, of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so one thing we have to, Keep in mind, Revelation isn't just merely like raw data, right? It's it's not just it's not just a bunch of facts that God eventually gave us. You know, Revelation wasn't just for grins and giggles. It has a purpose, right? Namely, like I just said, to unite heaven and earth. So Revelation's oriented to communion. Revelation is there. God slowly over the course of time revealed himself for the sake of being united with us. In that fullness of time, the the ultimate revelation was, I mean, the person of Jesus Christ, right? God made man, revealing to us what the whole reason for our existence is, namely to be united with God for all eternity through his son, through his son. And so we have this idea of revelation being oriented towards communion. So it's kind of a beautiful thing really to think about. God, over time, revealed himself to us, right? We, we have to look at this kind of in the big picture of things. And we, at first, we have the Old Testament, right? God, starting with Adam and Eve, um, we have this idea from the uh, theologian Fingold of primitive revelation to Adam and Eve, that namely God existed, that he provided for them, um, and that he was good. But at no point did Adam and Eve call God like father, strictly speaking, right? Um, there was there's still some distance there, even though God walked with them in the cool of the night, right? We, we read that in, in Genesis uh, 1 and 2. So, there's an intimacy there in the garden. There's a, there's a relationship with there in the garden. And then obviously Adam and Eve ate of the fruit and then we're, we're kicked out of the garden. And then we have the revelation contained in the Old Testament, right? Namely, we have revelation that was, that was communicated to uh, Adam's descendants and eventually to the 12 tribes of Israel. And that was primarily communicated through prophets, right? And the patriarchs too, like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Um, it wasn't given as, as like a t- like text, right? Uh, apart from you know the tablets of stone that the Ten Commandments were given on, but that was still communicated through Moses, and Moses was the one that you know chiseled them into the stone um, because God told him to. And so, God communicated through people, the patriarchs and the prophets, right? He communicated through people. Why? Well. Because God had to, in his wisdom, in his infinite wisdom, knew that he had to prepare his people to receive the fullness of revelation in Christ. 
right? He couldn't just send his son and, you know, magically think that the whole human race was prepared and enabled and empowered to receive him. Even though we read it, you know, in John 1, uh, those who knew him received him not, right? Um, so even with this Old Testament preparation period where God, you know, leading them and tilling their hearts to eventually receive the fullness of revelation, there was plenty of Jews who still rejected Christ, right? There was plenty of Jews still rejected Christ. In fact, most of them rejected Christ. Yet this was the goal is to receive the fullness of revelation in Christ. And this happens through people over time. And, and don't get me wrong, like there was instances where God commanded prophets to write down what they saw, what they heard in a book and a scroll, right? Um, and so this idea of revelation to reveal, to reveal, um, it's the same word in Greek, uh, apocalypse, right? It's, it's just another word for the unveiling, of the you know, to reveal. Um, so apocalypse isn't like today we think of uh, apocalypse is like end of the world, doom and gloom, but that's that's not what the word meant in, in Greek. Uh, it's just an unveiling, right? An unveiling. And so it's a revelation. That's why the book of Revelation, the book of the apocalypse, same thing. So it's a revelation to us, right? It's a revelation. And so God reveals himself usually through people. And if you look at scripture, it's usually through people, but occasionally there's something called a theophany, which is God appearing or speaking as himself. In the Old Testament, you think of the burning bush. It's a theophany. Um, you think of God on the mountain, uh, you know, after uh, uh, the Exodus um, and with the, you know, shakes and the voice of God and Moses seeing the back of God. That's a theophany. Um, and so there's not a lot of those instances, but they do happen. Um, and so primarily God speaks like to, through prophets, right? Through, through patriarchs and prophets, but occasionally he speaks directly uh, to the people or to the, the prophet in, in this kind of extraordinary way. Um, and then the ultimate and theophany ever in human history slash ever will be was the incarnation of Jesus Christ, really God walking on the earth. But even within the gospels, we have a, we have a theophany of the a Trinitarian theophany. The baptism of Jesus is one of them, right? When Jesus was baptized and he came out of the water, the voice of the father saying, this is my son who I'm well pleased. Uh, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove on Jesus. We see the three persons of the Trinity, father, son, and Holy Spirit. And then also um, in the, uh, when he, the, <laughs> the transfiguration, sorry, uh, when Jesus goes up the mountain, you know, we have Jesus up the mountain, the cloud descending and the voice of the father, right? That's another theo a Trinitarian theophany. Um, and so revelation, this idea that God is revealing himself, revealing himself to us. Um, and so it's always, always Christocentric, ultimately now, right? The fullness of time has come. Christ was incarnate, you know, he lived, he died, he was resurrected, he ascended into heaven. And so the fullness of time has come, the fullness of revelation has come, right? And like we said, all revelation ordered to union with God through Christ. That's it, boom, period. Catechism number 108 says, still, the Christian faith is not a religion of the book. Christianity is the religion of the word of God. A word is not a written and mute word, but the word which is incarnate and living. So this is really where, as Catholics, we, have, we distinguish ourselves from a lot of our Protestant brothers and sisters. Why? Because for them, 
revelation is it's sola uh, scriptura, right? Sola scriptura. If it's not in the Bible, it doesn't matter, doesn't count, right? Which is funny because those words are never in the Bible, but whatever. Um, and so, but for Catholics, that's, that's, not, that's not quite right. Because even in scripture, we read uh, at the end of John that, you know, Jesus did many other signs and works, uh, but, and if, I suppose if they were all written down, there wouldn't be enough libraries in the world that would contain them. I think basically says that in John 25 or something like that. Um, and so we know also that Jesus said and spoke things, even St. Paul, right? St. Paul quotes Jesus. And then you like try to find the quote in the gospels and, uh, you can't find it. Right. St. Paul does that a couple of times. Um, and so there's clearly things that got passed down through oral tradition, uh, through the apostles, through the church. So as Catholics, we realize that revelation is the, it's a single source, Revelation has one source, namely the word of God. Yet it has two fonts or two sources of communication. One of them, totally scripture, right? That is revelation. That is God revealing himself, his heart to us in order that we may be conformed to the image of his son, right? But the second source, or sorry, second font, if you will, from the same source is the church, is big T tradition, right? Not little T tradition, right? So it's two fonts, but ultimately one source, namely the word of God. The word of God is the source. It's where revel he is where his most sacred heart is where revelation comes from. And so we have to keep this in mind. Um, and so after Christ, though, we have, to, we have to also keep in mind that there is no more public revelation needed right? There's no more um, new things to be revealed. That's why Christianity, we reject Muhammad, right? Because we know that after Christ, there is no more public revelation. That being said, there's developments that can happen within the seed of faith that was given to St. Peter and given to, to the church, right? So for example, the um, dogma of uh, the perpetual virginity of Mary, right? That is not in scripture per se. I mean, there's elements in scripture that we could point to to see this is why, you know, we believe this. Um, or, or even uh, the um, the first one was Theotokos, right? Where uh, we declared Mary as the mother of Christ. Um, but all Marian dogma came about from the defense of Christology, right? So what, how, why do I say that? Uh, the idea of Theotokos and Mary is the mother of God, that defends Christ more than Mary, why? Because in saying that Jesus was the son of Mary, and if Jesus is God, therefore Mary is the mother of God. Not God as God per se, not like, right, because she existed obviously after God, um, but as the idea that Jesus in his person, he is not a human person, he is a divine person with a human nature, right? Uh, it's fully God, fully man, what we profess in the creeds. Um, this person, the second person of the Trinity was incarnate in Mary's womb and Mary like gave, Mary gave birth to him in his human nature, right? So because it's only one person, not two persons, she gave birth to the person, right? To Jesus Christ, right? So she is the mother of God and that defends Christ, right? So that makes sure Christ stays intact and our belief of Christ stays intact. So that way we don't have this weird idea um, of adoptionism where, you know, 
Jesus only became God, uh, the son of God at his baptism. And, you know, therefore like, you know, that's when it happened and that's why we need baptism. No, that's not a Catholic belief at all. Um, and so these later developments aren't new revelations, right? They're not new revelations from God to the church, right? They're the development and a flourishing, if you will, of the seed. It's almost, you can picture of the church as like a seed that Jesus planted and it grows over time and occasionally new flowers bloom, right? It's from the same tree. It's not a different tree. And even from these flowers, there's fruit that eventually it bears it's, and good fruit, right? But it takes time to develop these flowers and these fruits, right? But it's, it's not new revelation. It's not new um, big T tradition, right? It's, it's, it's just development of doctrine, Uh you know, private revelation we can have, but it doesn't, it doesn't improve or doesn't complete. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, it's once again, it's not, it's not public revelation. It's private revelation that you can choose to practice or believe in. An uh, example of this would be even be the rosary. As a Catholic, you don't have to pray the rosary to like, to make sure you're saved, right? There's been plenty of saints who never even heard of the rosary. St. Peter never prayed the rosary. Uh, Mary, never prayed the rosary in her life, right? She wasn't sitting there in a room being like, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. But we know Mary's in heaven. That's private revelation. And it's beautiful private revelation that we should do, obviously, but we, it's not strictly speaking necessary. A catechism uh, says in number 67, throughout the ages, there have been so-called private revelations, some of which have been recognized by the authority of the church. They do not belong, however, to the deposit of faith, it is not their role to improve or complete Christ's definitive revelation, but to help live more fully by it in a certain period of history. Guided by the magisterium of the church, the census fidelium knows the sense of faith, right? Knows how to discern and welcome in these revelations whatever constitutes an authentic call of Christ or his saints to the church. Christian faith cannot accept revelations that claim to surpass or correct the revelation of which Christ is the fulfillment, as is the case in certain non-Christian religions, like Islam, uh, and also in certain recent sects which base themselves on such revelation, like Mormonism. Uh, Mormonism is not a form of Christianity. They call themselves Christians, but they are not actually Christians because they don't believe that uh, Jesus Christ is the second person of the Trinity, fully God, fully man. Uh, they, you know, he found this book of Mormon or whatever it is. Uh, that is obviously not, that's, that would be quote new revelation. And as the church, we say, nope, sorry, Christ is the end, end all be all. Um, there is no, no full, no, no more. You can't add on, you can't improve to the deposit of faith that was given to the church founded by Jesus Christ and the keys given to St. Peter. So hopefully this has helped you out. Hopefully this helped you understand um, what are we studying here? We're studying scripture, which is a font, which revelation comes to us, but we're also doing it in light of the second font, which is the church, which is the, the tradition given down to us um, in, in the sacraments, right? Um, in, in the, in the priests and bishops um, in our beautiful, the beautiful deposit of faith, that has just been such a blessing, I mean, to the world and to each of us personally. So we don't just look at scripture and say, okay, we're doing scripture right now. We're not going to worry about the other fonts, which is, you know, the tradition of the church and what the church says. No, we're going to look at both of these in light of the other, right? Because they both show us 
the revelation of God the Father's beloved heart, namely that Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, came not to condemn but to save. That God is love. That is revelation. Your, your natural reason would never get to that point of saying that God is love. That is a revelation that came from Jesus Christ's most sacred heart. And so when we continue to dive in to scripture on this podcast, Catholics with Bibles, the, the hermeneutic that we read this through, the read scripture through, is being Catholic, is understanding that Jesus Christ is so good and he is truly God, fully human, fully divine, the only begotten son of God who instituted a church to lead us. And the church cannot stray in matters of faith and morals. Doesn't mean people in the church are perfect. Far from it. We're all a bunch of sinners. But dagnabbit, we try. <laughs> and, and we've been given this deposit of faith. And may we use it and not shun it and not ignore it. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Like As always, make sure to like, subscribe, share, talk about your friends and family. Uh, and we'll see you next time on Catholics with Bibles. God bless y'all. Once again, thank you so much for joining us with Catholics with Bibles. My name is Chase Krause. Stay tuned for upcoming episodes. Going to bring on some guest speakers here pretty soon. Very excited. We'll be announcing those in the next week or so. So stay tuned. God bless y'all.